When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this special podcast from Virgin Radio featuring a fascinating guest, Dapper Dave. It's over to you. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years, you've probably heard of our next guest. His highly anticipated autobiography for the record is out now in hardback. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. It's David Cameron. Good morning, David Cameron. Good morning. Great to be with you. And uh, now over here, I've got some copious notes. All right. Okay. Right. I can see piles I've made of them. M- more notes here uh, for this interview with you than I ever did for any of my O-levels. Now, I know you, you, you achieved 12 O-levels and uh, three O-levels. That, that dates both of us, that yeah. it's O-levels rather than GCSEs. Well, that, it, um... it does, it does. And um, we're almost the same age. You're still playing catch-up, but that's fair enough, that's allowed. Uh, now, in the preparation for an interview, uh, to be yeah. asked questions, okay, to be mm. asked questions or to answer questions, you've done this a lot because you did it. You, pre- you helped John Major prepare for PMQs. Yes. Okay. You helped Michael Howard to yep. prepare for PMQs, and then you helped yourself to prepare for PMQs. Yes. Okay, so so any tips? Well, what I ended up doing, actually, yeah. was I had lots of people to help me, uh-huh. and lots of material was produced, but I ended up, for the last half an hour or so, before premises questions, with a folder and some scissors and some sellotape, and I literally started sticking things down myself, yep. because I found that was the only way I could remember where everything was. Right. Um, but often, in the heat of premises questions, you you just make it up as you go along because you can't find the bit of paper even though you stuck it down yourself yeah, but you still it, couldn't find but it but also it was there wasn't it because you'd been through it because you were meticulous about PMQs weren't you well it was it is the most nerve wracking um, half an hour of the week the Prime Minister has because you can be asked anything by anybody and although you probably know some of the questions from your own side because sometimes your colleagues are friendly enough to say I might ask you about this hospital or that school or what have you but the rest of it you haven't got a clue about and the the dividing line between a good answer that works and a disastrous answer where you flop completely is so narrow that yeah. one minute you're up and sailing and the next minute you're absolutely blushing because you've totally um, messed up. But you say, and you talk about this in the book, I find it, I find it all fascinating. This particularly, though, because I, I, preparing questions to be answered is, is sort of what I do for a living. And you said that, on balance, it was far better to be on the receiving end of PMQs yes. than asking them. Now, tell us so, the logic well, behind I, that I, answer. Well, I've spent five years as leader of the opposition asking first Tony Blair, then Gordon Brown um, questions. And although you only had to ask six questions, so how hard is that, in a way? You you didn't get the last word. They always had the comeback. And it, I just sort of found it, I found it harder. When you're Prime Minister, you've got a record to defend. Yeah. Now, you've got some difficult things to explain and all of that. But at least you can, you can try and explain what you're trying to do. Whereas when you're leader of the opposition, you're just making propositions and, and what have you. So I preferred, I found it easier actually answering the questions than, than asking them. But both were pretty nerve-wracking. And then when Jeremy Corbyn started, started first of all, he, he started to cite questions from, the, from emails that he'd received uh, fr- from, um, from constituents. Yeah, from members uh, of the public. Which was a nice idea, but then you've, you, you said well, you very I quickly... found You found it easy to deal with very quickly well, because... Because you're longing at Prime Minister's questions to actually answer 
proper questions about why doesn't this benefit work or why isn't that hospital operating or why is the economic policy not working? And so these questions from the public were very straightforward, genuine, non-trap questions, whereas yeah. often the leader of the opposition will find some, you know, ask you something you don't want to answer. So I found it quite refreshing, actually, just being able to explain what I was trying to do. So uh, I think Jeremy Corbyn thought it was a good um, wheeze, but actually it turned out to be something I, I rather enjoyed. All right, so um, so so from 1992, you were all over PMQs. Uh, and no, uh, about 90, It was before the 92 election, so John, John Major got me in um, before the 92 election, and uh, he was up against Neil Kinnock. Yep. And I was only in my 20s at the time. So that's 18 years before you did it yourself. Yeah, and I, of course, I never, when I was working with John Major, I never thought I'll be doing this Exactly. Um, and also, he had to do it twice a week right. back, back in th those days. And I was the junior uh, um, guy on the team, really. But um, I, I sort of got a hang of what you had to do a bit to try and have snappy questions and snappy answers. Right, now, before we get into um, the last 52 years, 346 <laughs> days, I think it is, because you happy birthday for October the 9th, by the Thank way. Thank you very um, much. Um, you've already done. You've already Yeah, I'm already done. Yeah. yeah, thanks very much for being the first Prime Minister to be younger than me, uh, which I will never forgive you for, actually. Um, and as I say, a lot, a lot of our generation. But uh, and that, that So the first Prime Minister that was younger than you, is that yet? That is yet... Uh, Boris is older than me. Theresa May was yeah. a bit older well, than me. Well, good so, luck when but, it does. Yeah, yeah, it's I, not I, the greatest it, feeling it, in the world, to be honest. <laughs> it's Prime Minister's first, isn't it? It's football... Ref no, football referee second and police right. officers third, I think. Oh. That, that's yeah. how that feels. Yeah. OK, um, before we get onto that, um, and happy birthday for October the 9th, um, before we get onto that, how has this week been? How have the last seven days been? Well, obviously, I've spent three years saying relatively little because I genuinely wanted um, to let my successor get on with what was a very difficult job. And it is hard enough being Prime Minister without having your predecessor giving a running commentary. Uh, but I also think Prime Ministers at some stage should write a memoir and say um, it's not really a history book. It's not going over all the paperwork so much. It's just what you thought, what you felt, why you did what you did to try and put that down, I get, I down get for that. the record. So so this week, there has been, for me, sort of suddenly being back on the television and radio and um, has been uh, interesting. And, and it's reminded me of how many um, pitfalls and uh, traps there are. And yesterday I managed to... Um, uh, I managed to inadvertently swear on breakfast television, on mm. Good Morning Television. That wasn't a great um, uh, success. Um, but but I've enjoyed being able to try and explain myself, but uh, it, it's, it's challenging. What's been the stickiest bit of the week for you? Um, I think after I'd said what I said on um, this morning on the television, trying to recover from that because basically everyone was um, had lost the plot a bit and was giggling, and I, I couldn't sort of get it back a bit. And I was, as I said it, when you know you're on live television, you say something stupid, you're just thinking, "Oh God, how did that happen? What came out of my mouth?" Um, and so that was a bit of a, a nervous moment. Let's start with a few. Uh, did they release? Okay, yeah. you ready for this? From the book, all from the book. These, okay. So, so they're in the book, um, but did uh, Barack Obama really tuck you up in bed one night? Yes, he did. We, we, I went to. Um, no, I promise, it's a true story. I went to see him in 2012. He took me off to a basketball game in Ohio, and we were flying back on Air Force One. And of course, at that time of night, it's late in America, but it was like four o'clock in the morning in the UK. And he said, "David, you look a bit tired. Why don't you um, go and sleep on my bed?" And I said, "Well, thanks very much." And so he took me up to the. It's in the sort of nose cone of Air Force One. And there's a sort of blanket with the, the White House crest on it. And I lay on the bed and he said, well, I'll, I'll, you know, put the blanket over you. And, and as he was tucking me in, he said, I bet, I bet um, 
uh, you know, Roosevelt never did this for Churchill. So uh, who says the special relationship well, isn't, isn't going who strong? Who knows? Okay. But uh, we got on very well. I liked him. He was extremely Okay, but that uh, did nice actually man. happen. That did actually All happen. All right, another question. <clears throat> um, did two members, uh, suspected members of the KGB, really try to tap you up to become a double agent? Well, this, is a, this was in my uh, year between school and university. A friend and I went to what was then the Soviet Union. We went to the Black Sea, a town called Yalta. Uh, and we were on the beach and a couple of Russians who spoke perfect English came and befriended us and took us out to lunch and dinner and all the rest of it. And they were kept asking us what we thought of, you know, the West and democracy and the UK and Russia and all the rest of it. And we were a bit suspicious at the time. And when I got to university, I talked to one or two people about it. And they said it was probably an attempt to, uh, you know, find out who you were and tap you up. Um, but I promise I haven't been a... Soviet spy all oh, this time. So it really did happen, all but right. I'll never know whether they were, um, whether it was just friendly people. It was a bit suspicious because in those days, when you were in the Soviet Union, you, you really couldn't travel much on your own. You were followed about by, by people. And there were beaches reserved for foreign tourists, and they were on this foreign tourist beach. So that was a bit suspicious. So, so it really did happen, but I'm not really a spy. OK. <laughs> not that we know of. All right, so, no. Um, during your time as Prime Minister, um, when you were spending one of, which was on average about one in four weekends at Chequers as opposed to in Dean, which you prefer, where you preferred mm. to stay, is it true? Did Boris Johnson really... Um, tackle one of his own children so severely <laughs> in a game of football on the lawn at Chequers that the game had to be halted and didn't didn't restart. It was halted. I think it restarted. No, so this it is another true story, um, which is fortunate because I put it in my book. <laughs> I promise it's all true. Um, Boris and his family came to, to to have lunch, and there's a lovely lawn outside Chequers which we used for um, games of sort of rounders, um, uh, occasional games of cricket, and but it was very good for football. It was a big lawn and Boris is a very competitive player and he's got quite grown up children um, and I think it was his son Milo and he he, he tackled, he sort of slide tackled him and there was a sort of crunch was, he, there was no was hospitalisation. It a, was, it a was it a potential leg breaker? It wasn't a leg breaker but it was um, I think it probably would have got a yellow card rather than a rather than a red so the game was briefly stopped but I think then continued <laughs> but there were Johnsons on both sides so um, yeah. it was it was fair game Alright well um when you talk about that in the book, let me go to the page that's on, if I can find it. Uh, you talk about people who visited Chequers. OK, and so you you, you mention uh, Tony Blair in, in this particular uh, cha uh, uh, passage. Yes. And then you mention um, the Queen and then you men you mention Boris Johnson. So so the the two, um, the seven lines, two passages go like this. Tony Blair came to visit to discuss uh, the Palestine issue. The Queen and Prince Philip came for their first visit in nearly two decades. And Philip planted uh, an English oak on the North Lawn next to the one planted by Her Majesty when she visited during John Major's Premiership. Boris Johnson came with his family one Sunday and there was a highly competitive game of football on the lawn with Boris Sly tackling one of his children so vigorously they had to retire her. OK, now... The, the 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 three lines to do with Boris Johnson there are pretty surplus to requirement for this whole chapter. Right. Why did you put that I'm in? Trying to give a flavour. Are you sowing of... a seed for the for the no, chapters no, I was just towards trying the end? to sort of give a flavour. You use checkers for lots of very serious things. Yes. I mean, I had Chancellor Merkel there. But I it's had about Boris Johnson there. taking down one of his kids no, in a no, game of was, football. Come to... on, why it's, is that in there? It's a bit of colour. Right. It's a bit of colour. Well, there could have been other colour from other people. Yes, that's true. Uh, but he, you know, I'm not making some malicious <laughs> point there that this this guy, you know, even takes out I'm his own kids. I'm not you saying are. that. No, I'm, no, not, I'm just a, saying you know, it's weird that he gets three lines that I, think well, could I mean, you know, he's a, a, a legitimate, but he's a public figure of interest. Yeah. I thought um, I could tell there was another Boris who came to. 
uh, checkers, oh, which right, was good. Boris Becker, yeah. because uh, there was a charity auction of a game of tennis with with me and Boris Becker, and I, yeah. I was a huge Becker fan when he won Wimbledon the first time. You know, from be- so young, and you know, having and qualified, you love your tennis. and I love my tennis. And I, uh, he came to check us, and we had this game of tennis. And I remember saying to him, "Please, just serve one of your full, you know, oh, no. full-on serves." And somehow I managed to get a racket on it. It went over the net, and I remember just throwing the racket in the air, jumping the net. You know, I was so excited <laughs> that I'd returned to Boris. He said to me afterwards, "That wasn't full pace at all. I can't do it anymore." Yeah. But you know, it was. Uh, so it was, but it's a great place for actually doing diplomacy. I had any number of presidents and prime ministers and foreign ministers. Ten rooms, um, ten guest rooms. So once I had the, I think it's in the book, the president of Pakistan and the president of Afghanistan, you know, they are don't normally get on very well. And I had them in next door rooms and all night their sort of security team was sitting outside bolt upright, armed to the teeth. But when I came down to breakfast in the morning, they were having an argument about who had snored the most. And suddenly the relationship between Afghanistan and Pakistan was was, was thawing. So it, it has some good purposes. Right. Leading up to, to the release of this book uh, yesterday, um, the book, for the record, it's out now. It's out worldwide. Lots of people are reading it. Lots of reviews in the papers today. So Bill, the, the last few weeks, I heard from very reliable sources uh, that you were quite nervous about about the publication of the book and about this week of, of PR. I also hear on very good authority that on Tuesday at the book launch, uh, you gave a speech and you were clearly visibly and audibly nervous there too. What were you nervous about? I think you're I was nervous because, um, you know, the country's having a very difficult time at the moment. Uh, we are in something of a hiatus, having voted for Brexit, but then not having it delivered. Uh, I feel a huge sense of responsibility as the person who was the author of the renegotiation and referendum strategy, which I wanted to use to keep us in a reformed EU, but I failed in that endeavour. And so I've been nervous about coming forward and trying to explain what I was doing and why. I think it's important to do so. I'm sure after a a week or so, people would like me to shut up and um, (laughs) return to the hut, uh, which I never wrote a word in, by the way, just for the record. Um, But I wanted, you know, it was nervous because I want to tell the story of, of, of my explanation for what has happened. You're nervous because, you know, the country is at a difficult moment and I don't want to distract for too long from the central task, which is Boris Johnson going to Brussels and getting a deal and he's got my total support but as he does pers- that. On a human level, right, on a personal level, on a dad and a, a bloke <clears> who <throat> had a job and doesn't have that job anymore, <clears throat> uh, you know, and a husband level, what, what else were you nervous about? Were you nervous about, were you, were you fearful? Were you frightened? Well, you're just, well, A, you're worried about, you know, I've spent all this time writing this book, you know, how's it going to go down? That's uh, obviously a concern. As I say, the major part of nervousness is just, look, the country's got this difficult situation and, and, and what I just said. Um, you're also, you know, you're just having been quiet for a few years and, and out of the limelight, suddenly you're throwing yourself back into it and answering all those questions and fielding all those inquiries, which, which you... You know, I had for 11 years as leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, and I, I haven't had for a while. So, uh, you're, you're back t- in the Today programmes, you know, John Humphries <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. It's, uh, well. you know, it, it's these rightly, it's very challenging. So, um, the, there are many themes that come out of the book, and, and some people see others that I haven't seen, and I see some that pe- other people haven't seen, or at least don't want to reference. Uh, but there are many there, and I suppose you see the book as, as, as you are, you know, as, the, as the reader is. You, you see it you know, yeah. through your own lens. And one of the, I think one theme that nobody can disagree on is, is, is your um, 
how how devoted you are to your family and to your to your wife Samantha, and how, how much you respect her opinion, and how much you you sought uh, and listened to her counsel. Um, what was the most upset she ever was on your behalf because of things that may have happened to you during your premiership? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, the things I worried about the most, and she can always tell when I'm worried because we're so close. And I mean, the most stressful thing about being prime minister is the armed forces that you put in harm's way in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya. And I think um, she could always tell when I was at my most nervous, when we were losing a lot of people or when we were attempting to do a rescuing hostages and you were sending people on incredibly dangerous um, operations and you're, you know, you suddenly become very, very tense and very worried and you sleep with the telephone in your hand sort of waiting for the call. So uh, I remember uh, those times and her being very worried on my behalf. I think the whole episode of, of those hostages who were, um, you know, so cruelly and, and brutally beheaded in the, in the desert um, and I, I sort of thought I should sort of on behalf of the families watch these videos and, and make sure I could do I was doing everything I could to try and find these people and rescue them and, and find and deal with the people who are responsible. And I think that I think that affected all of us just because it was it was horrific. Um, and you, you, you know, I felt that Britain was being sort of humiliated by these people and the families were suffering you know, just an appalling, um, imagine just waiting for the news that your loved one was the next to, to appear in one of these grisly videos. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we're talking to David Cameron here about his book, For the Record, which he's been talking about all week everywhere. Uh, and he's been on the front page of all the papers all week. He's on the front pages again today uh, to do with Her Majesty. Now I know I, he's not asked me. He's not asked me not to say this, but I, I know I heard him in an interview yesterday saying he doesn't want to talk about that anymore. And he thinks it's, it wouldn't be proper to. Um, however, uh, David, if you don't mind me asking you this uh, question, um, you are extremely candid in the book about um, things uh, not necessarily to do with your job as Prime Minister, but with the the, the colour and the experiences surrounding that, including going to, to meet Her Majesty once a week as Prime Minister mm. to, to inform her every Wednesday on what's been going on. Um, do you think, <laughs> looking back at your book, because I love those chapters, I, lo- I love those passages, I love those pages, do you think you've been a bit over-candid? Because there's also someone in the book of whom you say um, uh, they, they were a bit gossipy, but your book's a bit gossipy, if you don't mind me saying. Well, I try to sort of bring, try to, bring to life um, Which what I is, liked, what is like being prime minister, and the the colour and the stories and the oddities of of life in in Number Ten Downing Street, I think are important. Look, I, I think we are so lucky to have a constitutional monarchy, and so lucky to have someone uh, who's done such an amazing job in public service for so many decades. And it's a huge privilege for the prime minister to go and 
see the Queen every week and to have that audience because you find as you're trying to explain um, what you're doing, you, you, you find often it clarifies your own thinking. Obviously, um, the difficulty is I, th I was her 12th Prime Minister, so, I mean, she's heard every excuse in the book before. Churchill was um, the first. Churchill was the first. Um, but look, from this window, this high, beautiful tower, I think we can see the Tower of London, and I don't want to end up there, so I think I will um, perhaps perhaps not say any more. OK. Um, now... As I say, I did not enjoy those bits of the book. You know, I really enjoyed them. Have you, have you had to apologise to her twice? Um, uh, I, I gave a, a very big apology after I, I did the terrible thing of yes, saying did, something you, to yeah. Mayor Bloomberg, and it was picked up by a microphone and and, and all the rest of it. But um, uh, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. Yeah, that's what you said yesterday. <laughs> I don't want to put. Yeah, I, don't right, want to put right, I really must leave it there. Okay, that's a good, right, um, okay. you are going to leave it there. I, I get that completely. Okay, uh, let's ask you some. Um, binary questions right because the referendum you know that's a binary right. format isn't it the, a referendum is a binary yes, format yes. okay it's clutching you started clutching your hands now nothing to worry about nothing to fear here um good personal well, i remember i remember listening i think i listened to you on glr a zillion years ago was it then when you had personal personality you had yeah. this test and you used to get people in the chair and then ask them questions about what was happening on probably crossroads then or whatever yeah. and and the price the price of a pint of milk and things yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah exactly we're not doing those please because no, i will that's I will. not that's not binary that's factual okay right. these are binary right. oh, okay, these, okay. these are in a right. way worse all right <laughs> okay come on then uh, good person or bad person nick clegg good person george osborne good person gordon brown good person tony blair good person Theresa may good person michael gove no, this is getting consistent i mean it, for the first 600 pages of my book very good person michael gove. last 100 pages not so good Boris Johnson. Uh, ditto. First 600 pages of the book. Uh, excellent London mayor. Um, last 100 pages, perhaps not so good. Because I think, look, I think he made the wrong choice over Brexit. Um, he hadn't argued to leave the EU before. And when the referendum came along, I thought he would be on my side arguing we, we've got reforms. He would probably argue we need more reforms. And I hadn't done enough to reform the EU. But I don't see why, having never argued for leaving, he suddenly opted for leaving. So, um, but uh, look, he's got my support while he's trying to negotiate this I deal. I get all that. Get I the get job done. But you know, uh, from from back in the day when you were trying to become an MP, and you tried to, to become an MP three times before you be finally became Whitney's MP. Is that about? Is that no, right? No, I, I fought um, Stafford in nineteen ninety seven, and I think it's fair to say that Stafford fought back pretty vigorously, um, and I didn't make it that time. Yeah. So that was one. Yeah. And then I fought Whitney in two thousand one. No, but and you I got tried. In. You tried to become the PP. See twice before that. Yes, anyway, it yes, doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. Matter. Yeah, once. It's once all in the book. It's all yes. in the book. Uh, but you know that in order to 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 attain prominence uh, and put yeah. your head above the parapet and stand out from the crowd, you you have to disrupt because you you disrupted. You voted against the party on a couple of things um, in your fledgling career. Um, and there's that famous phrase in there: th three strikes and you're out. Okay. Yes. But you hit three home runs and then you're out. So your three home runs were: you became an MP, two thousand one. You became the leader of your party four years after that, which yeah. is incredible, 2005. And then you became the blooming prime minister five years after that. And 14 years later, one bam, thank you, ma'am, it's all over. Yes, um, my political career was much shorter than I ever thought it was. 34 would. to 49. But in order to do that, in order to, to stand up for the good, you have to disrupt. Now, you, you say in the book that Boris, you know, he, 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 he jumped up on to the bandwagon of something he didn't believe in because he had to cause a fuss. And the fuss that he thought he was going to cause, you cite, and I think I agree with you, and lots of people may or may not, it's up to them, 
was was to go for a leave, go go to go to bat for the leave side, almost certain that that we wouldn't vote leave, and therefore be the the hero which tried to stand up against Europe, but didn't, and that will be a pretty useful bullet in his arsenal for going forward as potential prime minister. Well, that's the way I read it, and I think that was a mistake because you know if you don't believe in something, you shouldn't do it because there's a danger it might happen and that's what happened. But I've tried to be fair in the book because he was torn, genuinely. I think his his heart was saying maybe there is a strong case for leaving and his head was saying, I've never argued for it before, but I just think he came down on the, on the wrong side. Um, well, my, my point about this is... In order to be a leader, to stand, you have yes. to disrupt. So, but, but, so you've but, accused. But to disrupt on the on something that is so important yeah, to no, the future I, of the country, I think, I think is that that's where we um, parted company, right, and that so was what I was trying to convince him. I said, "This is so important, whether we are in a reformed EU or whether we're outside." And I said, "If we leave, we're going to spend years trying to work out what our relationship is with this organisation, and so many other things we ought to be doing will go by the wayside that don't." Don't do it. So, but but I, you know, I failed to convince him, and I've got to bear my share of responsibility for that too. Right. Let's do another two minutes on this, then we'll move on to something else. Okay. Um, so, um, you took a penknife to a sword fight. Um, the Leave side took a flamethrower. Right. Um, they engaged people with hysteria and emotion. They fought an emotional battle. You fought a, a logic uh, and a, a, a reasonable battle, um, a content and a not so contentious battle. People didn't engage. The people you had to convert didn't engage. They were already engaged with, with the enemy, if you like. So you, you're, and so that later, later on, you thought, okay, we've got, we've got to hit the emotion. George Osborne said, you've got to bring them down. You've got to discredit Gove. You've got to discredit uh, Boris Johnson. Um, by the time you sort of acquiesced that 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 had that now had to be um, your strategy, uh, they put their flamethrower on eBay and they started to to come in with a bit of logic. So they did it the other way round. Yeah. It was the polar opposite of the way you fought the campaign. Now I know why you did that because you didn't know how low to go, um, and you know the old the the the, the honourable ways. You know they go low, we go high. We've heard that in the past. Yeah. That's something your dad would have told you, I'd imagine. Yes, yes. Uh, and you didn't know what to do. And you said, I did what my dad always told me to do. If you're not sure, just do the right thing. And sometimes doing the wrong thing for the right reasons is better than doing the right thing for any other reason. And I know that you think you may should you should you should have done that. But have you heard even a junior salesman will tell you, David, hmm. that people do not buy with the same mind that they think with. And you were trying to get them to buy your 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 argument why didn't you just say look this is an emotional battle let's just pile in there i i think it's a very good analysis i think we were making more logical rational arguments about the economy and jobs and access to the single market and the leave campaign had this very powerful emotional call about the need to control immigration and how we couldn't do that inside the eu um uh, the problem I had was when I went reached for an emotional argument, which was the role that the EU had played in bringing European countries together and keeping peace on our continent. Um, I made a speech about it, and it was written up in the press as Cameron predicts World War Three, and the sort of it sort of bombed as an argument. And I think we were left making more rational rather than emotional arguments on this question of, you know, should there have been uh, a more brutal campaign to try and sort of you know highlight. Uh, Remain at any cost. Well, this is an interesting one. Politics is a brutal business, and and you know, you have to be brutal by moments. I just thought the more 
you know, conservatives on my side of the campaign t- attack conservatives on the other side of the campaign, the more it would look like a blue-on-blue Tory psychodrama. And, and the more that became the case, the more, you know, Labour voters in, in, uh, in the Midlands and in the north of England who might want to stay in Europe, the more they'd think, hang on, this is just some Tory row, I'll stay out of it. And so there was a genuine problem, and I, I don't think I, I still haven't resolved to this day exactly what the right answer is. But when you... When you lose a fight, and as you say, you you only had a um, a penknife to a flamethrower, you obviously think, well, well, maybe I should have yeah. got the flamethrower too. I remember I w- there was a one particular Andrew Marr interview. I think it was the week before because you you all had a go one week, yes. the week before, two weeks before, three weeks. Before. I can't remember the. I think were you on the week? Were you the I last can't one? Remember, on? But I definitely did. Yeah, everybody had yeah. a go uh, yeah. in the four weeks leading up to yeah. to the referendum itself. And I remember you coming on, and I remember you saying, and you said it six times during one interview, during the Andrew Marr interview, you kept saying. If you want to be stronger, safer, and better off, and you said it six times, yes. and obviously that and you, was the message. Yeah, yes. and it's a, you you cite it as a triptych in the book, yeah. and that was obviously you know you'd had a meeting, you discussed that's the message. You kept saying, kept saying, kept saying it, um, and because you kept saying, I thought, oh, this is the strategy. This is from a meeting, and it's not coming viscerally yes. from yes. deep enough. And it, I, I, I think wa- that's a fair criticism. I think um, you know you 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 listen to the pollsters and the strategists, and they tell you that. You know, you've got people who are strongly committed to staying in, people strongly committed to, to leaving. It's the ones in the middle you've got to concentrate on. They are, you know, want to stay with their heads. They might be tempted to leave with their hearts. So, you know, appeal to the, uh, the rational side. But sometimes in politics, you can over-repeat a message and people start tuning it out and switching off. And you have to find ways of saying the same thing, but in a different way. And maybe in the... You know, it was such an important issue and such a nerve-wracking campaign. Maybe I, I didn't sort of dig deep enough and find other ways of making um, the, the the same point. What you say, what you say at the end of your book is you say because that left that left me wanting, and I thought there's something missing here. You know, what's he not saying? Why is he not saying it? You know, is this the story? Is this is this the story that's been composed? And campaigns are composed via stories and messages yep. and things. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. And I'm not saying there is for a second. But I thought this is the story, and it's running out of legs. It's running out of steam. What does he really think? And whether you found found what, what other people were saying abhorrent or not, you just felt like they meant it, even though you, yeah. some people may have thought it was insane. <laughs> You, you know, that, but that... I don't deny they had a powerful message, which is, you know, immigration has been very high year after year. The public have wanted their politicians to do more about it. Politicians, including me, you know, didn't do enough about it. I thought we were getting it under better control. And then we found it very, very difficult to to continue that. And and so they had a strong message. And, you know, look, I, I still wish we'd voted to remain in a reformed EU. But uh, as I've said many times... We are the sixth biggest country in the world. It's it's a legitimate choice. It's not my choice, but it's a legitimate choice to say, look, with Europe, we're going to be friends, we're going to be neighbours, we're going to be partners, uh, but we're not going to be members. We can make that work. No, I know, and this is and, interesting. And so they did have a, you know, I'm not one of the people who say the Leave campaign uh, had no arguments, it was all lies and bluster. There was a, an I know, argument I know, there. I, know, I just happened to, to, to not agree with it. But the bit that was missing for me is the bit yes. you just said. So you've just said what I was thinking. Right. Okay, and what you've just said is... Look, I want us to remain, but if we vote to leave, it'll be okay. Now, you didn't say that in the campaign, but that's sort of what I heard, and you've just sort of said that again. And what they were saying is, if we remain, it will be a disaster. Yes, yes. And actually, a lot of people think, if we leave, it will be a disaster. And you weren't saying that. Now, did you... Did oh, you... I think we, we were pretty 
vigorous about the disadvantages well, of leaving. We we said there's going to, you know, it'll be a long time before we sort out our relationship. That's proved to be true. We said the economy would grow more slowly than it has been doing. That's That's been true. Uh, we said that, you know, there are going to be big issues about how we maintain uh, a borderless um, uh, island between the North and the Republic. So we did make these arguments and we did paint in pretty stark colours what we thought would happen. But look, we lost. And we have to accept that. And in accepting it, I think it's important to say look, the Leave campaign did have some serious arguments and points that people engaged right. with. We will leave that bit there. Have you read any reviews, David? Of um, your book, I, I, I have. I read oh, one in the foolish. Daily Mail, um, which, which was all right, actually. Um, are, you going sure... to read, are you going to read all the others? I've read it's them all. a bit like politicians saying we yeah. never look at the polls. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Uh, I think the idea you write a book and you don't read the reviews, I think you're probably going to. It's going to be. It's just too easy now. Everything's on your phone. Well, you I could, think. You know. I mean, I've read all of them this morning uh, before we came on Perhaps the air. Here. And they, they all they all say what you would expect them to say. Right. I think so. No surprises anywhere there. And they're all making their own points. And fair enough. Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all. All right. Let's go back to the boss. Let's go back to Samantha. Yeah. Okay, uh, the captain of the ship. Yes. Okay, the head of mission control. What has she thought about this week? What What were her apprehensions about you writing the book? And because uh, you knew this was going to happen, uh, there was there was going to be this this storm of sorts yes. uh, of detritus and other other things. Um, what did she think of a you writing it? Uh, B the publication date getting closer, and this week, how has it been at home? If you she don't, was... if you don't mind me telling, no, no, no. She she was very supportive of the idea of of uh, writing uh, a book. Um, she said it'll take you longer than you think because, you know, it's hard work. That was that was definitely right. Uh, this week, I mean, she's very protective, obviously, as we all are, of um, family and, and, and all of that. Uh, so she's a bit worried about, you know, how's it going to how's it going to come out? Especially and, affecting the kids. I and all the rest of it. Yeah, no, I, my, my, my daughter, Nancy's um, 15. And, and uh, I sort of said to her, Nancy, you know, bring out this book this week. You know, it might be it might be bit tricky and she said are you are you saying dad that anyone would dare disrespect me at school so i thought that was tough you that know she's, she's she's all right okay, and she's got previous as well uh, hasn't she? she was the one i left in the pub yeah so she's i've hardened her up over the years <laughs> by um, various which elicited the greatest cartoon any newspaper's ever seen which she's got in her bedroom it's a picture of me sitting no it's a picture of her sitting at the bar of a pub with her head in her hands going oh no i've left my dad in charge of the country and, and she's got that um, <laughs> funniest cartoon ever. Brit- matt is he is so good i mean he is just um, but she has previous at school um, when when the referendum campaign was going on, doesn't she? That's in the book as well. Yes, yeah. There was a bit of uh, a sweary exchange with a you know they were all she was taking in my better off in badges and someone else had some out badges and there was a bit of um, what my mother used to call argy bargy, yeah, bit of handbags. Um, but uh, they're 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 pretty robust. Um, can I can I talk because there are bits that really sort of they 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 come at you from nowhere in yeah. the book as well. There's that love the lovely story. It's it's very brief uh, about um, about the day you resigned as prime minister and about the fact that your your son uh, was due to play a British prime minister in yes. a it wasn't a sketch or a play. It was it, it, was, it was a what sort was of it? reenactment. Yes. So he was at a. Um, a, a State school in London, St Mary Abbots, and they have quite a lot of kids from around. It's in that bit of Kensington, got a lot of international um, students and embassies and the rest. And they were doing a reenactment of a human rights declaration at the United Nations. And they had a German girl playing the German chancellor. They had an American boy playing the American president. And Elwin was meant to be playing me. And it was the day um, after the referendum result. And um, 
the teachers were very worried about it, and they said to him, Are you sure you want to go ahead with this? And he said, no, no, I want to do it for my dad. And when, he, when I heard the story afterwards, it brought, you know, uh, made the... Um, you know, hair stand up on the back of my neck because I thought, what a, what a, you know, what a brave boy. You're tearing up. Uh, now, well, I'm thinking about it. It's um, anyway. I told the story the other day at the book launch, and he said to me, "Oh, Dad, don't tell that story." You it's know, a great on, story. You know. But if it's um, and apparently the, the he had the audience in tears because it was so poignant because they felt for him so much. I wasn't there obviously because I was, you know, but but apparently yes, there were a lot of people, you know, very moved by what he did. It's a very honourable thing to do, wasn't yeah. it? A very stoic thing for. A, how old was he at the time? Ten. He was. 10 at the time, yes. Okay, He's 13 now. Um, there's lots of great pictures in the book. Uh, I um, enjoyed a picture of you have, with a glass of whiskey in your hand watching the results of, I think it was the 2010 election coming in, would that be right? Or well, the Scottish referendum. Refer- Sorry, yeah, the 2014, yeah. that's the one yeah. with the, the, the elder children. Nancy and Elwyn came down to the press office and were sort of sitting on my knee and we were watching the results come in. That was a happy night. Now, what's this Prime Ministerial thing about whiskey? Because Theresa May, uh, she talked about having a glass of whiskey. Margaret Thatcher was famous for drinking her whiskey. Did you like whiskey before I've you were... I've always liked whiskey. Well, um, what do you mean always? Well, I mean, ever since <laughs> I was um, 18 and able legally to go right, to the okay. pub. And my father was a great... He was a great one for whiskey and soda. Right, how do you, how do you have yours? Well, I like every different one. I, like, I love a whiskey and soda, but I also like the single malts. I'm a particular fan of the Jura and Isla malts, those really right. strong peaty ones. Um, from the west coast with of Scotland. With a cigar, without a cigar? Not, just have you ever a bit of water. Have, have a, have a history with smoking. It was a bit of a bit of a struggle uh, over the okay. over the years. And that's in there too. Uh, it's all in there, 752 pages. There's plenty of There's very little about your early years, and people have noticed that. Well, I wrote that. more, actually, and then I cut it because I just thought it was too... Uh, I really enjoyed writing that bit because, obviously... You, you haven't thought about it that much. You yeah. know, what was the influence of my mother and what life at school? You know, I really enjoyed writing all that. I think I wrote too much and then we kind of pared it back a bit. OK, I think people would be really interested in that. I think maybe that you could go back and, and, and that could be something else. I think we're not, it's a bit early for the director's cut. I think we'll, we'll, we'll hold off that. But no, I, I hope people enjoy the... I always like when reading other people's biographies. I always think the early years are the interesting bit because it's the bit you don't know anything well, about. Also, it's formative. And, and it, yes, yes. And people's own reflections on... What influenced them and uh, and all the rest of it, I think, is is interesting. Can I ask you a question about your weight? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right. Do, do. So um, there's there's a couple of pictures in the book. Uh, so there's a picture of you on the day uh, that Gordon Brown resigned, which was the 11th of May, I think, 2010. Could be. Or the 10th, right? 10th yeah. or 11th. And then there's a picture of you one month later on the steps of Downing Street, yeah. and you look like you've really sort of celebrated being Prime Minister for a couple of weeks. Well, I, I, I used <laughs> to say don't mind my, 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 my weight, I think you, my weight moved in exactly the same direction yeah. as my poll rating. You know, if I crashed down to the 30s, uh, I would um, get down below, or get down to about 90 kilograms, and then if I was doing a bit better, the weight went up. So it was basically stress, I think. The best, my, the best Stress was my diet. I'm now trying to find alternative ways of um, keeping the weight under control. My, my, um, my wife said success. this morning, she said, you look your hottest in this photograph here. Um, the, the one with Putin? Yeah, no, no with, with Obama. The, oh, tre- right. the treadmill bilateral, a discreet yes. meeting with Obama during Camp David G8, May 2012. And you look very trim there. Well, I mean, you I look was, 10 years younger, I to be honest. nervous. You're supposed was, to look older when you're Prime Minister, immediately. Uh, well, this was this was at Camp David, and Obama said, we, we, we must talk, but I've got a very busy schedule. Come and have a bilateral in the gym. Um, and this was quite difficult because he is super fit and I'm not super fit. And you've got all your talking points, the things you've got to raise. And there's some very important stuff. We were talking about Iran and all sorts of other things that I was desperate to get my points in. But as the treadmill went faster and faster, I was sort of panting and could hardly get the words out while he was talking with ease, yeah, yeah. while, you know, speeding along. Um, but it was an interesting way to have a meeting. Right, is this it? Today Is today it 
For, for that is uh, it. I'm, I'm doing some literary festivals, I think, one right. or two. Mm-hmm. Um, Beware but, of those. Uh, really? Well, because you get very relaxed and everything gets reported in the papers. Oh, yeah, good point. Okay. Um, I better remember that. Okay. Um, but I've done my, my you know, uh, some, some interviews this week, and that's pretty much it. Some literary festivals. Um, I think I'm doing a couple of events in, in the United States. Um, and, and then I'm back to the other things I've been doing, which is working um, with Alzheimer's charity to try and defeat dementia and other things this I'm up fantastic. to. fantastic. And you were very early to that particular cause. So well done. Congratulations on that. Um, you once were asked, I think, I don't know if it's true or not, I don't really care, but I just repeat it anyway. But it's not what I want to say. Um, you were once asked uh, why you wanted to be Prime Minister, and some say you gave the Churlish reply because I would be good at it. Never, doesn't yeah. matter, doesn't <clears throat> no, matter. No, 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 I want to get, because I, I went, I accepted that that must be true until I went back one day and looked at the article, and I hadn't actually said it. Yeah. Uh, the journalist, I think it was, I think it was someone on the Telegraph, had actually just sort of um, inferred that's what I thought. So I, it was kind of, it shows you have to check, you yeah. know, I never actually said it. Because I don't that's think. what you'd say about playing... Your joker in a pub quiz, wouldn't it? You know, I think we'd be quite good at that. It's not really the basis of a premiership. No, no, no. It was never. So, so you what, didn't was, say no, that. I never went into politics for those reasons. I went. Right. I wanted to try and do. By the way, that wasn't my question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right, well, right. And uh, and I I wasn't quite. Okay, sure. It doesn't good. sound like you no, would no. have said it. But thanks for clearing it up. Okay. But I will ask you this question. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you think you're going to be at being an ex prime minister from here on in? Because um, this is the this it, is the underscore, isn't it? Today? Yes. I, well, I I hope. I will uh, not be a persistent sort of commentator on everything that's happening because I think, look, ex-Prime Ministers do have some interesting perspectives, perhaps particularly on foreign affairs because we've spent so much time uh, dealing with them in office. But I'll try not to be a sort of running commentator on my successes because, you know, I look back, I was very lucky to start with when I first became Conservative leader, I had every other Conservative leader backing me, Mrs Thatcher, John Major, Michael Howard, William Hague, Ian Duncan Smith... And that was hugely helpful rather than having everyone browing and fighting behind you. So I'll try and be like that, but we'll see how I get on. I mean, the other thing about you not being, uh, you know, um, the front line of politics nowadays, it is a shame because it is the founding fathers of each generation that gives the gravitas to the party in the House of Commons on any given day. And having Ken Clark there and having the heavyweights around, that does help. So it would help if you were still there. If you're not going to be there, what are you going to do? Well, on the being there, I I, I agree with that. It's really good that people like Ken Clark are there. I I felt, I thought to start with as an ex-Prime Minister, I would want to be there. But I pretty soon came to see that you either sit there and don't say anything, even if people know you disagree and you're sort of, you look like you're sulking, or you do speak out, in which case you're divisive. I couldn't quite work out how to do it. And so I thought better to to, to leave. What am I going to do? Well, I'm doing this work on, on charity for Alzheimer's. I'm also am president of National Citizen Service, which is the youth volunteering scheme I started and now has one in six 16-year-olds taking um, part in it. I do a bit of work with the Oxford School of Government and others on uh, international aid and development. I mean, when Keane played at Live 8 in 2005, Tony Blair quite rightly set the goal for all of the G8 countries to give 0.7% of our GDP in aid payments. Britain is the only one to date that has actually achieved that. I think Germany's got very close by moments. And we did that in, in government, and that has helped some of the poorest people in some of the poorest countries. And I maintain my commitment to that and these aid issues. So I've got lots of things to keep me busy, and hopefully I'll be a better father, better husband, more engaged on the homework, although I'm finding a lot of it quite difficult. All right, I'm going to leave you or ask you to leave us with one binary question. All right. Another one. Okay. The best 
Tory Prime Minister that the Tory party never had in the last 50 years, Ken Clark or Michael Heseltine? Um, I'm a big Heseltine fan. Um, uh, I think he's got a great vision for how we have a more decentralised country, how we build up the great cities of the north of England. Uh, and I think in a world where we're all battling with how do you respond to... Look, globalisation's been a good thing, but some people and some areas have lost out. And I think Michael has some of the best answers for how to lift up parts of the country that potentially can get left behind. And I've always been a big fan. OK. All right, good. Uh, now, you have got to go. Thank you for being here. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I could ask you uh, whether you want to remain or leave now. Uh, but oh, well, you... I'd like to remain in a reformed Virgin Radio <laughs> studio, I suppose, <laughs> is the answer right. <laughs> but... I, it's lovely. The sun is shining. There's this fantastic views, but I've got a, a couple of podcasts yeah. to do. Well, so... you can leave, but it'll be OK. <laughs> All <you>. right. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you for downloading this special extra edition of the best of the Breakfast Show with Sky. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe for free to get our best bits every week.